If you would, uh, we're going to turn to our Bibles in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Hey everybody. Good to see you guys. My name is Victor. I'm one of the pastors here this morning. Um, or at Grace. <laughs> um, and if you, if you don't know, I'm actually transitioning away from ministry here at Grace. This will be my last sermon. Yeah. Oh, I know. It is sad. It is sad. And um, I just felt like the Lord was asking me to do something that you might find weird, but I don't really care. Um, but I felt like he was asking me to take off my shoes and preach barefoot. And just saying, Victor, this ground you're standing on is holy ground, and it's been a privilege. It's been a gift that I've given to you to preach God's word to my people for the past three years. So I'm going to take my shoes off. Good that you're like 15 feet away at least. Um, but if you would, turn to First chapter, or First Samuel chapter 17. Uh, whether you're a Christian or not, you're more than likely familiar with this story. It's the epic tale of David versus Goliath. And we're going to make our way through this very gigantic passage. It's the longest in the book of 1 Samuel. But first, let's remind ourselves of where we're at in the story. Um, so look at verse 1. The author gives us the setting in the first 11 verses. This is verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Succah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Succah and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah. So the Valley of Elah was a strategic location for both Israel and the Philistines. Philistia bordered Israel on their western border, and it sat between the Mediterranean Sea and Israel. And so the two armies, they're gathered together here on Israelite territory at what is the entrance into the hill country of of Judah. And if the Philistines win this battle, they essentially are handed the, the keys to um, the Saul, Saul's kingdom. They're handed the house keys to his kingdom. But this isn't the only reason that this scene is so intense. Not only would defeat in this battle threaten um, the security of the Israelite kingdom, they're outmanned and outgunned. So look at verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion, And that word, it literally means a man that stands in between two armies, named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, so about nine and a half feet tall. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders, 
The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. And if we were, we were reading the children's storybook Bible, it would say, and he gave a hideous laugh. Ha, 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 ha. The length at which the author goes to describe Goliath, it's noteworthy. He wants us to feel awestruck at this invincible giant. He wants us to experience the impossibility of the situation. Goliath, he not only looks terrifying, he has a message for Israel that makes them tremble. So look at verse 10. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So first, the word Goliath uses in verse 10, defy, is a word that we need to pay attention to. In chapter 17, it's used five different times, and it drives the whole text. I'll come back to that. Second, it makes sense that Israel is dismayed. (laughs) Goliath is terrifying, and we're well acquainted with Israel at this point. They don't have eyes to see through Goliath and his armor, and his threats. The eyes that saw the glory of the nations in King Saul in his height, they see the terror of inevitable defeat in the height of Goliath. But look at Saul's response. He's the king, and the one person who should have responded to Goliath's contempt for God's people and for God's name. And instead, what is, where is he? The author groups him with the people of Israel. He hides among his people, just like he hid among the baggage. We're supposed to see ourselves, I think, in the ranks of Israel and in Saul. We, we don't trust that God is bigger than our biggest problems. Our concern for our own safety makes our faith in God's ability to save seem very small. And so the question we'll ask today is this, what do we need to face our biggest problems? And I think our text, it has two answers for us. First, we need to see ourselves in God's eyes. Second, we need to see our problems in God's world. Let me pray. Father, this is holy ground. We... We, we sit here in front of your word and um, long to hear your voice. And so we uh, metaphorically take off our shoes and open up our hearts, our eyes, our ears. Um, would you come and meet with us in this holy place with these holy words? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, we need to see ourselves in God's eyes. So look at verse 12. David is reintroduced to us. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. We know all this. Verse 14. David was the youngest, or the smallest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So some time has passed since we last saw David. Jesse, his father, is old and exempt from battle, so his three oldest sons go to war on his behalf. 
And we're reminded that David is a small shepherd boy and the youngest of Jesse's sons. And the reason that he went back and forth from shepherding his dad's sheep to Saul is we learned in the last chapter that he is Saul's armor bearer. And when David isn't doing the menial task of tending his father's sheep, he's Jesse's errand boy. His father asks him to take a trip to the battle and to bring provisions for his brothers and their commanding officers. So David, he goes on a familiar trip, one he's been on many times, but what he doesn't know is that this trip will change his life forever. He will leave a shepherd and he will end up a savior. So David goes on the trip and as he arrives in the valley, the two armies are meeting one another. Verse 22, and David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. It'd be easy to miss, but we've heard about baggage uh, and not the emotional kind um, in the book of Samuel before. Chapter 10, when we find Saul hiding like he's doing now among the baggage, but David isn't hiding. No, he leaves the provisions that he brought for his brothers with the keeper of the baggage. And what does he do? He runs to meet the ranks of Israel. We're supposed to notice the stark comparison between Saul and David. And as David talks to his brothers, Goliath, he comes out on cue, he gives his speech, and Israel flees from the giant in terror. So look at verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And there's that word again, defy. But this time, David hears him, and something inside of him stirs and awakens to Goliath's taunts. And would you know it, this is the first time that we hear David actually speak in the Bible. And when we hear a person's first words in the Bible, it usually says a lot about who they are, their character. So look at verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. Again, we hear that word defy twice here. The word reproach in verse 26, it's the same word for defy in the Hebrew. So while Saul and the rest of Israel are concerned with their own safety, what is David's concern? It's not himself. It's not even just Israel. He wants to take away their reproach, their shame, yes, but mainly because Goliath, in defying Israel, defies their God, defies the living, true God. I'm sure that David sounded a lot like a king, and his speech must have earned some attention from the soldiers around him, because his older brother takes notice. Look at verse 28. Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Oh, burn, burn those few sheep in the wilderness. 
What is Eliab doing? He's mocking David. He's trying to make his smaller, younger brother feel small. Don't you know your place? Go back to your sheep, David. Sometimes people see faith or gifts in another person, and it makes them feel small and insecure. And so they do whatever they can, say whatever they need to say to feel big again. His brother's mocking, though, isn't enough to, to calm the crowd's excitement. Word gets out that there's some, someone willing to actually face Goliath, and it gets all the way up to Saul. So look at verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go out against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Man, David just can't get a break. First his brother, now his king. It seems that no one believes in the small shepherd. We see in this epic tale that Goliath is not the only giant that David has to face. He has to face the unbelief of the Israelite nation. He has to face the mockery of his own family. He has to face the cowardice of his king. No one believes him, yet he's still so sure that he is the man for the job. How is that? Look at verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Um, David sees himself not in the eyes of his fellow Israelites or his family or even his king. David sees himself in God's eyes. And while his brother used his vocation as a shepherd to shame him, David sees that very calling as the thing that now qualifies him to face Goliath. David saw himself in his story, even the parts that seemed confusing or, sh- or embarrassing, through God's eyes. So yes, he was a shepherd in some backwater town that no one cared about. But in those hidden years of David's life, God was preparing for himself a king with his own heart. A king who would have his own heart. The hill country around Bethlehem was David's gymnasium of faith where his trust in God grew as the Lord delivered him from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion. So it's not like David was a shepherd one day and then he set that, that part of himself aside and now he's, he's the king of Israel. No, he was the kind of king that Israel needed 
because he was a shepherd. So every time I sit with someone who's hurting and attempt to help that person um, listen to them, encourage them, um, give them empathy, an encouraging word, I have to give credit where credit is due. I have to thank my mom for giving me those gifts. Because in some of the most confusing years of my life, following the divorce of my parents, um, my mom looked to me as her counselor. And so seven-year-old Victor, he grew up super fast, and he developed those healthy, those helping skills in the furnace of a chaotic home that needed some sort of stability. And for so long after becoming a Christian, I was mad at God for those years of my life, so confused at why he had let them happen. But now I know, at least in part, that house was the gymnasium of my faith. It fine-tuned in me skills that I now use every single day. Skills that are a gift to others. Somehow the Lord turned what was so confusing, lonely, twisted, a seven-year-old helping, caring for his, his mom into something that now brings life to others. That's the kind of God that we serve. Is there a previous season in your life that just confuses the heck out of you? That leaves you wondering, why did I go through that? What was the meaning of it? A time that seems so out of place, so meaningless, like tending sheep when no one is watching. The Lord is more creative than you could ever be. He's just a better storyteller than you are. He wastes nothing. Every menial service you've rendered, even the times where it felt evil had won the day, will serve an ultimate purpose in God's upside-down kingdom. Just like David's hidden shepherding in the fields, he can use your small and hidden seasons as preparations for something else. He can, because he's that kind of God. So what, what do we need to face our biggest problems? We need to see ourselves and our story in God's eyes. And lastly, we need to see our problems in God's world. So look at verse 38. Saul puts his armor on David. Probably not to protect the boy, but, it, but because if for some small chance he might defeat Goliath, he would get credit for it. Again, he is hiding behind his people. But the armor is too big and too clunky. David's never worn a warrior's armor. So he takes them off and approaches the giant, completely vulnerable, with only his and a bag of rocks at his disposal. Goliath must have felt offended. Is this a joke? And he says in verse 43, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? David must see something that we can't. Verse 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. There it is. The whole time Israel was afraid of Goliath because they believed there was no one among them, even their king, who could defeat the Philistine. 
But David sees things differently. To him, Goliath is just an uncircumcised Philistine. What if you and I called each other names like that? (laughs) He's just an uncircumcised Philistine and someone who has defied the name of his Lord. As God's representative, David is determined to restore a right view of reality, both in his people and in the surrounding nations. Verse 46. He does this that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And the duel moves quickly at this point. The battle is over almost as soon as it begins, and we all know it so well. David and Goliath, they rush towards one another. David takes a stone from his shepherd's pouch, and he slings it at the giant. The giant falls down dead. And in verse 50, the text, it makes sure to remind us that there was not a sword in David's hand. David finishes the job with Goliath's own sword, with gruesome details that are a little too much, maybe. The Philistines flee. Israel chases them as far as Gath, which is Goliath's hometown, and then returns to plunder their camp. And the rest of chapter 17, it foreshadows the events of or what are really the rest of the book of Samuel. It focuses, uh, the rest of the book focuses on the envy of Saul towards David, his successor, and the rivalry it creates between them. Apparently, as Saul watches David go out to meet Goliath, he's moved to know where, whose family David belongs to. Saul, he must have felt threatened um, as he watched his own people grow hopeful at David's faith. But what an unexpected turn of events. Was it luck? I don't think so. David saw his biggest problems in the context of God's world, where God is living and active like a shepherd among his sheep. So David's life as a shepherd not only prepared him to be king over Israel, it shaped the way God, or David saw God in the midst of his biggest problems. And so you and I, we read poetry penned by David in Psalm 23, a prayer to God. And I just want to walk through this 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 beautiful psalm, and and ask, do you think that David was like praying this psalm as he prepared to meet Goliath? The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want, feels the grass of the battlefield beneath his feet. Let me lie down in green pastures. He kneels beside the brook to pick out the five smooth stones and the water just gently rushes over his hand. He leads me beside still waters. He carries on his soul the mockery of his brother, the faithlessness of his king, and the way Goliath has defied the armies of Israel and the name of his God restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He walks from the Israelite ranks through the valley of Elah. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
He has his shepherd's staff, not a sword, in his hand. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He meets Goliath face to face and his enemy haunts him and tries to feed him lies about who he is and what's about to happen. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Every risk of faith that you take, every time you lean into this unseen but weightier reality, that there's a living and active shepherd like God who's bigger and nearer than your biggest problems. God reveals himself to a world that doesn't have eyes to see him. So every time you absorb the blow from a mocking family member or an enemy and don't respond in kind, you're witnessing to the greater reality that God, your shepherd, will protect and keep and fight for you. Every time someone in authority over you is overcome with envy and tries to name you or silence you, but you remain sturdy and sure about who you are in the eyes of your God, you're witnessing to the reality that God, your shepherd, knows you by name. So how do we face our biggest problems? First, we have to see ourselves in God's eyes, and then we have to see our problems in the context of a world enchanted and filled and ruled by our God. So in closing, man, the way David must have looked in front of Goliath must have felt similar to the way Jesus looked as he hung on the cross to those who stood by. Hopeless, small, weak, defeated, his enemies tried to mock him and name him. He saved others. Let him, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. But Christ saw himself in his father's eyes. Forsaken on the cross, Jesus knew that even in death, he had the father's love and his delight as his son. Jesus and eventually his faltering disciples saw the cross in the context of God's world. And in doing so, when some saw a criminal or a silenced religious zealot dying on an instrument of torture, Jesus saw it as the place where God would crush the head of the serpent and disarm the powers of death and sin that had held humanity in its grip for so long. I'm sure that Jesus' resurrection on the third day felt as unexpected as the giant falling before David, small shepherd. This is how he works in your life. When the odds seem stacked against you and you're in over your head, you have what you need to face your biggest problems because God, our shepherd, has you. He has you. He holds you. He loves you. You belong to him. And he cares for you like a good shepherd with his sheep. Let me pray. Father, this is true. You are our king. And Jesus, you are the good shepherd who knows us by name and leads us in and out of pasture, cares for us, protects us from our enemies, fights our battles, and you overwhelm our biggest problems. 
what makes us afraid. Um, you make afraid what makes us afraid. <laughs> um, and so, Lord, just help us rest in your shepherd-like care this morning. We love you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.